measure it back to you. So like if you're one of those people who you look down your nose at everybody because, well, they don't do this and they don't do that. Well, guess what? You're going to be judged by that same measure. And really what this does, because of the grace of God, all of a sudden we start to change the measure because you're like, God has been so gracious with me. Then why do I want to hang somebody up to a standard that I can't even live to? See, God's grace transforms us and we start to have a different measuring stick. We tend to measure people up to a standard standard varies from person to person, but most of the time no one can measure up. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds us that our Creator held us up to His standard and we did not measure up. However, God changed the scale when He sent Jesus. Now it doesn't matter what we've done. We've been forgiven. That grace now needs to change the measuring stick we use on others. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Obadiah verse 10 with part 3 of his message, wrongs made right. You're your single biggest issue in your life. It's not your spouse. It's not this or the other, not your boss. We want to make it those things, but really it's us learning how to navigate our own stuff. That's what it is. And because of that, that's why we all need Jesus so bad. And that's why here we unabashedly invite people to come to receive Jesus without any qualms at all because there's judgment coming and the only way not to have to stomach your own judgment for your own mistakes is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's God's designed way to see a person be saved. It's through Jesus. That's how it works. And what we're going to see as we continue in this book is that God is judging the Edomites for exactly what they have done. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the spirit of the spirit, he will reap everlasting life. This is a simple idea. It's like if you wanted to plant a garden, right? You go to the nursery and you get some seeds. And if you say, oh, I want to plant a row of zucchini, put the zucchini seeds in. I want some, some tomatoes. You put some tomatoes in. You want a little spices. You get all your, your little spices and stuff, right? And whatever you put in there, if you put a zucchini seed in, what do you get out? Zucchini. Nice. Right? If you put tomatoes in, what do you get out? Sauce. No. You get, get tomatoes, you know? You get tomatoes. You put spices and you get spices out. Right? It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you put in, you get out. And he says, look, if you sow to the flesh, if you sow to rebellion against God, then of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Because when you rebel against God, corruption happens. But if you sow to the Spirit, to the things of God, right, then of the Spirit, you're going to reap what? Everlasting life. And really what you have going on is that the Edomites, they've been sowing something that when it comes time for the harvest, they're not going to enjoy at all. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we sowing right now that you really don't want to reap a harvest of? Because those verses in Galatians begin with, don't be deceived. 
God's not mocked. Don't be dumb because God ain't playing. That's what that means. You want to update the line. Don't be dumb. God ain't playing. Whatever it is that you put in, you're putting it in and you're going to get it out in spades. That's what it means. So now we get, if we move into verse 14, we're going to see the specific charges against the Edomites. Look what it says, verse 10. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were one of them. Verse 12, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. You should not have entered the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped Escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Do you notice these reoccurring phrases, both in the day of, when something was happening to them in that day, and then the other recurring phrases, you should not have, or nor should you have, right? So at this time when the children of Israel were in crisis, there was all sorts of things that the Edomites did that they shouldn't have done. So you want me to break it down into a principle for you and I? You need to treat your brother right. You need to treat your brother right. All of the issues that the Edomites have boils down to one thing, that when the children of Israel were in trouble, they did not take care of their brother. They should have in that moment, in the day of their distress, in the day of their calamity, they should have not joined the party that added to the calamity, but they should have been different and they should have treated their brother right. And I'm here to tell you, the reason that judgment comes to the world is because we don't treat our brothers and sisters right. In the outworking of life, we have a tendency not to help one another. And that is the problem. That's the problem. That when push comes to shove, we do not help the way we ought to. And what's interesting about these charges is that at first it began with attitudes and apathy, and then it led to behaviors. See, notice what it says. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You should be cut off forever. So it's because of this violence that they imposed. But how did the violence happen? Notice verse 11. First, in that day you stood on the other side... And the day that your strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were one of them. When the children of Israel were being besieged, the first thing the Edomites did was they did nothing. They just watched. They didn't engage. They were apathetic to what was going on. And then from there, they start casting lots for Jerusalem, and they find themselves jumping in. In verse 12, but you should have not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of their captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly. You know, this is all going on outside the gates. Now they're rejoicing in the calamity. Now they're saying, man, it's good that this happened. You know, like they're boasting and they're proud about it. They're having fun at the problems of the children of Israel. And then by the time you get to verse 13, now all of a sudden those attitudes start to play out in actions. You should have not have entered the gates. 
You shouldn't have grazed their things, stolen their stuff in their affliction. You shouldn't have laid hands on their substance. And then not only that, not only did they go in and get involved, but then when people were trying to leave, they were at the crossroads trying to block people who were fleeing for their life. It begins with an apathetic attitude, a passivity. And then it progresses into engagement where now all of a sudden they're going into the city and now all of a sudden it's all out offense against them by not even wanting to be protected. Do you know why I bring this up? Because sin is progressive, my friends. Sin begins in one place with an attitude, internally, an apathy, and it builds and builds and builds until it becomes something that you can't even imagine that I got there. Like, I was just reading an article about this. There was a lead singer of a Christian metal band who got arrested for trying to plot to kill his wife. Yeah. What? So I was like, what? Yeah. And like, literally, you read the article, and this guy's life tells this story where he was a guy in a Christian band and they were a popular band, but he was struggling in his faith. And then he started using steroids and then he started cheating on his wife. And then this thing and that thing and that thing. And then all of a sudden now he's got 10 years in jail for trying to hire a hitman to kill his wife because they were getting a divorce. But it didn't begin there. It began with something else. And we have to realize that wrong attitudes lead to wrong actions. See, that's why the Bible places a premium on the heart. Because everything that happens externally begins internally. See, every sin that you would struggle with, it's external, but its root is internal. It's something in the heart. There's an attitude or there's a, something in your heart that isn't lined up. And then it plays itself out outwardly. And in a lot of ways, the Bible places a premium on the heart because the Bible knows that if you can fix the root cause, then the symptoms will go away. This began in the heart of the Edomites. And then it grew and it grew and it grew. And I'm here to tell you, full-scale oppression of another person doesn't begin there. It begins with the wrong attitude that grows and grows and grows. So you got to ask yourself, do you treat your brother right? Do you follow the most basic principle of Christian ethics that you should do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. That you should treat others the way that you would want to be treated. See, what our world says is you just react to somebody, they give you something, you just give it back to them. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to proactively be a blessing. I don't want you to treat them the way they treat you. I want you to treat them the way you would want to be treated if you were in that situation. And what it does is it keeps us from being able to blame other people for the way that we're acting because all of a sudden we say, no, no, no. I'm choosing to act that way. And all of a sudden you start saying, well, so why am I acting that way? And you start to ask yourself the hard questions that searches your heart and the spirit of God searches your heart and you say, oh, I see what I'm doing. Wow, that's really not so much like Jesus. You see? But you know what's amazing? I've been a pastor for long enough to know that I would love to say that Christian people treat their brothers better than non-Christian people. But you know what? Oftentimes we don't. And my friends, that ain't right. You know, it's not right. 
Because of who Jesus is, we should look at the world differently. And we have to make sure that we are. It's so easy to follow Jesus for so long that you stop being humble and you stop allowing the spirit of God to search your heart. It's like, that's what religion does. Because religion, all of a sudden, you just begin to assume that you got it all together because I don't drink, I don't smoke, and what you do, you know, and you don't do all these things you used to do, and then you church, and you do the whole thing, and then all of a sudden, you stop even thinking, like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't act that way. Because I believe in Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and my kids, and this thing is here, and this thing is here, and this thing is here, and everything's so nice and tidy. But when push comes to shove, the Edomites... For all the things that they had going for them, they didn't treat their brother right. And we need to make sure that we treat our brothers right. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is some verses that wreck me. Like, you know there's those verses that just kind of grab you and you're just kind of like, these verses wreck me. This is what it says. By this we know love, because he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from them, how does the love of God abide in him? He's saying, look, this is what love is. Love is the fact that Jesus died for us and we should love our brothers the same way. And then it asks this simple question that is devastating. But whoever has this world's goods... Sees his brother in need, you see it, and then you shut up your heart. So it begins with an attitude of apathy, and then you don't do anything. You have no actions. How does the love of God abide in you? But you see how easy it's to do that, right? You're like, there's a world full of needs. I see, it's like, there's needs everywhere. I mean, what can I do? And we get an apathetic stance. And in some ways, my friends, I think God wants to move us from apathy to passion. That's what apathy means. It's a lack of passion. In the Romance language, the ah prefix means a negative, like ah theism, atheism, no belief in God. Agnostic, no gnosis is knowledge, no knowledge of who God is. Apathy, without passion, without pathos. And God wants to move all of us from apathy to passion. Didn't Jesus say, I'd rather you be hot or cold because when you're lukewarm, I'm going to do what? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. See, whatever gives Jesus a gag reflex is bad. You know what I mean? And so this lack of passion, which leads to a lack of action, Jesus wants to work on in all of us. And so we need to make sure that we're treating our brothers and sisters right. Listen, I'm sure for all of us, we need to fix some of this stuff. So don't let yourself off the hook right away. If there's somebody who's your brother or sister, you know, and I'm not saying just your nuclear family, I'm saying not just the church, I'm saying the human family. Because that's how God defines your brothers, everybody, right? It's unique. If we're not treating them right, we need to start. Now, verse 15 and 16 make us even a little more nervous because look what it says. For the day of the Lord is upon all the nations that is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal, your reward shall be upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. My friends, you have to realize that you set the measure that you will be judged against. God allows us to define the yardstick 
by which we're going to be judged against. You set the measure. He's saying, look, this day of the Lord, this day when God brings judgment on all things, it's near, it's on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. See, this reminds us of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, you actually define the measuring stick by which you will be judged. Now, this is what I want to tell you, because... All the time in my own life, the things that bother me about somebody else is always something that I'm really good at doing. So like if, if I'm with someone and someone's like, I'm like, man, they talk so much. Now you're all laughing because you're like, Fusco, come on. But exactly. You know what I mean? It's like the reason you think someone talks so much is because you want to be the one talking all the time. And you don't like the fact that they're occupying all the space. Right? Or if you're like, that person is so selfish. Then if all of a sudden you look and you ask the people close to you, so am I selfish to be like, do you really want to know? Because our what we don't like in other people, it's really the mirror that is reflecting back to us of our own stuff. And so whatever measure that you erect, God's going to measure it back to you. So like if you're one of those people who you look down your nose at everybody because, well, they don't do this and they don't do that. Well, guess what? You're going to be judged by that same measure. And really what this does, because of the grace of God, all of a sudden we start to change the measure because you're like, God has been so gracious with me. Then why do I want to hang somebody up to a standard that I can't even live to? See, God's grace transforms us and we start to have a different measuring stick. My favorite one, I've been doing this a lot lately because people talk about this all the time. Like, I don't go to church because all the hypocrites there. That's my favorite one. Because I'm like, oh, like, I'm from Jersey, and so, you know, like, I'm a little bit, I got the spiritual gift of mischief, you know? And so, people are like, I don't go to church, all the hypocrites there. I'm like, okay, so you don't like hypocrites, huh? Yeah. I'm like, you want to talk about you now? And I just love this, because I could do it with a big smile on my face, and it's fun, you know? But then you start walking through it, you know why people don't like hypocrisy? Because everyone's a hypocrite. They're only Jesus, she's the only person who was able to walk out his talk. All the things that he values. Jesus is the only one who's able to put it all the way out there, right? And live it. And everybody else gets what the reason we hate hypocrisy, and we should, is because all of us are hypocrites. All of us in some way undercut the things that we profess. There's not a person that is alive that always gets everything right and along all the lines that you value. And that's why we despise it so much. But you know what? When you realize because Jesus has touched your life that you're a hypocrite too, when someone's being hypocritical, you don't judge them for it. You see yourself in them and you begin to pray for them. And you say, you know what? I'm just like them. And then you think to yourself, I can get mad at them because I'm the exact same way. And instead of giving them a hard time for their hypocrisy, you start confessing your hypocrisy. And you know, listen, right now I'm just realizing I'm just a hypocrite. And you know what? That changes everything, does it? But the only way to have a measuring stick that is proper is to have your faith and trust in Jesus. Because all of a sudden, you're like, man, I'm so grateful God removed the measuring stick that I have failed to live up to. And it changes your relationships with people. Because now you're not looking for all the ways these people do things wrong. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? Who am I? And you change everything about your life because you're like, I don't want to be measured against this. I can't live up to the standard I'm asking other people to live up to. 
And every time I try, I realize that I fail. And that's why I believe in Jesus in the first place. But brothers, sisters, listen. You set the measure that God's going to judge you against. And my friends, that's terrifying, isn't it? When you think of all the reasons you've gotten upset with all these different people for all these things, are you living up to that standard? And the answer is you're not. So again, because judgment is coming and pride is the problem and because we don't treat our brothers well and because we set the measure and the measuring stick that we set is so brutal that we can't even live up to it, what happens next? The book of Obadiah has been pretty rough, but look at how this ends and it's so beautiful. Look at verse 17. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau and the lowland shall possess Philistia and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. Captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Do you know why this book is in your Bible? Not only is it historical and not only is it inspired, but it reminds you that God always delivers his own. God delivers his own. See, this whole book has been about a judgment against the Edomites, but what about the children of Israel? What about God's kids who are now being persecuted and they're being exiled and all these things? What happens to them? And then it says that word, my favorite word in the Bible, verse 17. That's my second favorite, the word but. Why? But on Mount Sinai there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. That word deliverance can also be translated there shall be salvation. Jesus is real. While the book of Obadiah was filled with difficult lessons, Pastor Daniel reminded us that there was and is still hope. The Israelites who had been taken captive and oppressed were going to be redeemed. We learned today, too, that we can be redeemed. Our pride may have blinded us a bit to our need for a Savior, but if we acknowledge this need, Jesus is waiting for us with abundant grace and love. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, 
and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will bring us to the final book in this series, the book of 3 John. This book will share with us principles and characteristics that pretty much every human being would agree is important, but that needs to define a follower of Jesus. Among these are taking care of what we've been given and also being generous with our time and resources, just as our Savior has been generous with us. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Little is the New Big. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.